Blog Talk Radio. Circles. I am Clayton Calder with my co-host and friend John Harlow as we bring you Talking in Circles, reviewing the Food City 500 from Bristol Motor Speedway and the Fitzgerald Glider Kit 300 at Bristol Motor Speedway NASCAR Xfinity Series race. But first, of course, we talk about the main event, which was the Food City 500. Carl Edwards won his 26th career NASCAR Spring Cup Series race. Uh, Johnny had, the fast, I think, the fastest car, most consistent car today. His teammates were very good as well. They had some issues. Carl never had any issues. But 276 laps today at Bristol Motor Speedway en route to his 26th victory. Locks him in to the 2016 Chase for the NASCAR Spring Cup. Oh, yeah. Carl was on a rail today. And it was one of those things where it was, I mean, it was Bristol without being Bristol. I think Carl had a, had a dominant car, but the problem was it was one groove. Anybody who tried to get down low to pass, there was only a couple people who could pass at all. Chase Elliott's one of those ones that could pass. I mean, they were even saying on the post-race show on Sirius XM that people will be watching Chase's in-car camera and stuff to find out how he did what he did because he actually was able to pass using the bottom lane. But if you weren't on the top lane, you were pretty much screwed. It's like you look at Harvick. Harvick had a great car all day. He wasn't in Edwards' class. I mean, Edwards was in a class by himself, but Harvick had a great car all day. But every time there was a caution, where did Harvick restart? He restarted on the inside. He'd lose three or four spots, finally get in line and get back up there. And then by the time he got back up toward there where he's charging, I mean, challenging Edwards for the lead, another caution would fly, and they'd end up back on the inside lane and going backwards again. 917-889-8280 if you want to join the show to talk about anything about Bristol that you saw that you liked that you didn't like, um, but some some it was it was a good day for some of the uh, lesser known drivers in the field, which we'll touch on in a little bit. But I agree with you as far as um, you know. I thought it was a one lane racetrack. It was it's not nearly as physical as Bristol used to be. There was a lot of carnage today, a lot of checking up. Uh, it started with Dale Earnhardt Jr., who was a runner up finisher today. He got uh, fortunate to finish runner up after the issues they had. Early on in that race, did a great job working his way up to the field. He also had the benefit of a lot of cautions, but still got it. fell down a couple of laps, did a good job working on his car to come up to the field. But there was a lot of stoppage and goes today, a lot of uh, issues. You know, Joe Gibbs race, we saw them with a lot of tire issues. You know, with, with this, I, I thought it was the camber in the front wheels, John, that caused both all three, three of the four Joe Gibbs racing cars to have issues. Denny Hamlin, call it, uh, Denny Hamlin, Matt Kenseth, and Kyle Busch, Todd Bush at the wall twice. Uh, it, it, big issues there for Joe Gibbs Racing. And Bush came out after the, after, the after the race came out and said that um, he doesn't like the new Bristol. He wishes they never changed it, which I think a lot of fans echo that point. But kind of a, a crazy day. Joe Gibbs had to had uh, fast race cars all weekend long here, but weren't able to uh, piece the long run together with, with the tire issues they had for three at least three of their race cars. And I wonder how many of them had four lug nuts on there again. I mean, they didn't have any wheels fall off, which would be a big penalty if that happens, because they said you can put as many lug nuts on as you want at NASCAR, but if your tire falls off, then you're going to have a big penalty to deal with. I I wonder how much of it was four lug nuts. I do think that it was a camber issue for all three of them, because Edwards basically said at the end, uh, whenever they interviewed him, they asked if that was a if he was starting to get nervous because his other three teammates had the same issue, and he said, "I was nervous until Dave Rogers told me that they ran a different setup, so I guess they weren't running as much camber as the other three cars." Uh, Kyle Busch had a great car. I mean, that car was running well, except whenever he played chicken with the wall on a couple occasions. And he had it right. I mean, he said it flat out because he has five wins at Bristol. Mm -hmm. And since they ground down the top lane, he said it flat out. I suck here. This place sucks to run at. And if you look at it, it was follow the leader 
or be in the top line and you're good. I mean, look at Dale Jr. A lot of the times where he made up his stuff, he was on the top line, and he even said it in the post-race. I was yep. very fortunate to be in the top lane. If I would have been in the bottom lane, there's no way I would have got to second. In the final restart, he started fourth and hit the start-finish line before the second-place car did. There was a lot. There was definitely, I think track position was definitely, and it always is, it's always going to be a factor, but it was definitely excessive today. I mean, we saw Lennon Castle, Lennon Castle, uh, great! It was great to see the Snap Fitness Ford up front, but decided to stay out on older tires and pulled away in the lead. He, had, he obviously had a pretty good race car, you know, got a little bit of an issue with Ty Dillon towards the end of that race, and that kind of put Landon Castle back. I think he finished in the 22nd position today, but he had a pretty good car as well. Um, but that kind of put him up there and gave him some recognition, gave that team some recognition, which was nice to see. But there was no doubt track position was. Uh, a, a huge factor in the race today at Bristol, and it's always going to be a factor, no doubt. But I just feel like it was even a bigger factor today than what um, you know than what we've seen in the in the past. I, you know, since before the old Bristol, I don't think it was nearly as big of an issue in the old Bristol track position, but it's always been an issue for sure. Um, also, about the tire issues, you know, we saw the excessive wear on Edwards' tires with the camber. Uh, they, they showed a picture of Carl Edwards' tires, and it looked, but you know, after a 50, 60 lap run, you were like, whoa. You know, but uh, obviously they didn't have nearly as much as the other teams. And the most important thing was that it held off and he was able to win and get into the chase because, you know, if he had issues, it would have been no doubt a a, an, a bad day for Joe Gibbs Racing all around. Uh, Dale Jr., like I said, finished second in a second spot. Good job for him to come up to the field, but like you said, you know, got the benefit of, of sitting on the outside lane. Third was Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch had an up-and-down day. You know, early on in the race, we saw him doing nothing but beating on the back bumper of Ryan Blaney's. 21 car. He came home 30, even though Tony Gibson and Kurt said they really weren't happy with how the car handled all day. And then, of course, you mentioned the fourth place run of Chase Elliott. Chase ran good, almost led a little bit, was running in the second position for most of the day, finished in the fourth spot, but I thought a very impressive day for a guy making his first cup start at Bristol. And the one thing that Chase, Chase Elliott's pretty good at, he's been a short track driver for a long time. He's only been up in the... Um, Xfinity and Cup Series for now two race or two years in the Xfinity and um, what are we at eight races into the season so far this year? Um, but Chase is a good short track driver. Blaney's a good short track driver. They grew up cutting their they cut their teeth on the late model short half mile tracks that they've run on. I think the thing with Chase Elliott though, he's got a solid team. I mean, you look, that's exactly Jeff Gordon's team. The only difference is Chase Elliott's a rookie and Jeff Gordon was Jeff Gordon. I think Chase Elliott will continue to grow as the season goes. Same way with Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney's driving Penske equipment, even though it's a Wood Brothers car. I think he's going to continue to grow as the season goes on. Don't be surprised if one, if not both of those guys are in the chase at the end of the season. Yeah, listen, I tell you, Blaney even worked his way through the field. We saw him doing a lot of good things uh, in the middle part of that race. I think the car kind of fell off towards the end. I think he also got in the bottom lane behind his, behind Joey Logano, who Logano was running up in the top five for most of the day. Um, had a little bit of an issue on, on one of the late race restarts where the car just didn't go. It looked like he had like a, a little bit of a, of a uh, acceleration issue or some kind of issue where the car just didn't go on the initial restart there. Was able to get it going and finish in the 10th spot, but eventually, but uh, a tough ending for Joey Logano there uh, after a solid run for that 22 car. But I'll tell you, John, you know, as much as, as the race was at times, you know, you, you kind of wish the track position wasn't in the play. It was great to see some of these names up front uh, in typical Bristol fashion. You know, you had Trevor Bain, who hadn't had a top five finish since his Daytona 500 win in 2011 for the Wood, for the Wood Brothers. He finishes in the fifth spot for Roush. It was good to see him. And I'll tell you what, you know, you can say what you want about Bain. Bain was up there for most of the day. He had a top 10 car for most of the day. Um, he was very fast and very impressive. I thought that six car was going to fall back. Um, maybe we were, you know, he qualified well. He qualified in the 10th spot. I thought we'd see him maybe fall back to about the 18th spot, 15th, 18th spot. But he was able to stay up there and keep going and keep the momentum going. He had a really good handling race car. Finished in the fifth spot. And then, of course, the the feel-good story of the afternoon, Matt Benedetto in the, in the sixth spot. And we talked about Benedetto a lot on this show for BK Racing. A kid that had originally a uh, development deal at Joe Gibbs Racing in the Xfinity Series a couple, a bunch of years ago. Um, when he was hired in this ride a year ago, didn't have a whole lot of stock car experience, 
but had a lot of skill and worked his way into this ride, got into it, did such a good job. They put him in there for, for 35 races last year, got the ride this year over Jeb Burton, over J.J. Yaley, and finishes in the sixth spot at Bristol. Uh, he was emotional at the end of the race, John. It was really good to see both Bain and especially D. Benedetto and BK Racing out there running in the sixth spot and have a good finish tonight. I thought it was awesome with uh, Matt Benedetto in the uh, post-race. I think it's the first time I've ever seen him interviewed in a post-race other than the um, 150 at Daytona this year because he raced his way into the 500. I thought it was awesome how he was emotional. He was a cl- he was a clown coming in because he picked ZZ Top Sharp Dressed Man and dressed up as Billy Gibbons and held a guitar and had the beard and the guitar as they drove the truck around the track to wave at the fans as they did driver intros. But I thought it was really cool. He made sure he thanked Ron Levine for putting him in the car. He made sure he thanked his family. He made sure that he got his little point across that it's been a long way to get there. And they're making strides at BK Racing. I mean, it's an underfunded team. It's a guy trying to do it. And here's Matt Benedetto, who's, I mean, his best fit, finish before was 15th. And here he comes out with a top 10 finish, and he was pushing top five a lot. Of, I mean, he's, it wasn't that he just came up there at the end. He was up in the top 10 all day long. It was a great run. And one of the things it shows about Bristol is you don't have to be Joe Gibbs Racing or Hendrick Motorsports or Stuart Haas Racing or Penske. Arrow doesn't mean as much at Bristol as it does almost anywhere else. If you have a car and you keep the fenders on it and you keep it going, pointed in the right direction, you can have a good day at a place like Bristol. Yeah, it's true, and and it was great to see you. You know, you say BK Racing, Ron Devine, the owner there, just great job for that team. They went to Triad Engines this year. They were, I believe, in Joey Erickson Engines last year. Pro Motors was the company they used last year. And they've seen them run a little bit better. David Reagan's had some good runs. He finished 21st at Martinsville. Um, they've seen them get a little bit better here as the season's rolled along. And the sixth-place run at Bristol, I mean, it's almost unfathomable You, if you told me that, Matt. But it's, I was going to think he Ben Adele was going to have a pretty good run today. And a pretty good run for those guys is a top-20 finish. He finished 20th at Phoenix early on in the year, and that was a great run for him. Uh, and, and he's really kind of, again, I think this kid's got a lot of talent, and he's just kind of, I felt, uh, shuffled out of the mix a little bit at Joe Gibbs Racing. Joe Gibbs Racing obviously has a lot of a lot of very big-name, talented drivers over there. Uh, the Xfinity Series kind of hit a little bit of a lull. You saw sponsorships, not one of the sponsors of these kids that had very little experience, no big, not big names, and a guy who really salvaged him. He was virtually out of, out of NASCAR for two or three years. He was able to come back, got a deal with Curtis Key in the Xfinity Series a couple of years ago, battled back the way he did. Gene Need, the crew chief on that team, uh, a veteran crew chief has been in the Xfinity Series forever with Phil Parsons, was in Phil Parsons' race team for a long time, got the job in the middle of the year last year at BK Racing, and that even made Matthew Benedetto in that 83 car better last year. They got Gene Need in there again this year, and they've run really good. I mean, he's 30th in points right now, but for that team, that's a, that, that is an improvement. His, his teammate David Reagan had some issues today, but I would thought we would see both cars up in the top 15 today if that was a, if Reagan didn't have the issues he had with you know with the Dale Earnhardt Jr. situation. But still, BK Racing, like you said, John, making some strides. That was great to see. D. Benedetto, Grass Valley, uh, California, if you don't know where he's from, uh, a great driver. I felt like uh, I was told by a lot of people that uh, you know he's a driver who. You know, he's only 24 years old, we forget. Uh, a driver who, if he got in the right spot, would be a very good driver. And I thought last year he proved that. He, he didn't queue twice, but uh, a great job this year and, and a great sixth-place run, something that we'll never forget, Sean. And, 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 you know, somebody off the air told me this, and it's right. It reminded me of Rich Bickle's run in 1998 at Martinsville, I believe it was, where he went out there and finished in the eighth spot. And he said, this is a, a win for us. This is a great run for us when he's driving for Kelly Arborough. That's what Dee Benedetto's interview reminded me of. It was just a really, really good time to see uh, here this afternoon. Also, a couple of good runs uh, from guys who really needed it. Clint Boyer. I mean, Clint, obviously, John has, has a lot more experience than we've seen from Dee Benedetto in Bain, but Boyer finishing in the eighth spot, he really needed that today out there after a really tough start to the 2016 season. Well, Boyer said it flat out. I mean, he talked about it last week about how – 
if people were thinking it's a Stuart Haas car and it just happens to be the H. Scott Motorsports, they're totally wrong because he said flat, whenever he was at Michael Waltrip Racing last year, they had 25 engineers. They have one at H. Scott Motorsports. Um, again, a good run for Boyer. Boyer runs the short tracks really well. Boyer runs Bristol really well. And it did help. I mean, it doesn't hurt whenever you have Bush, Kenseth, and um, Hamlin having tire issues. There's three big guns that are put in the back because they're not doing well because they're tires. You also had Keselowski have problems. You had Logano lose a tire on pit road, and he was a lap down for a while. I mean, it makes it easier, but, I mean, you still have to keep the car pointed straight. You have to be able to make, I mean, you have to be able to turn. You have to be able to be lucky enough to hit the right lane whenever it comes restart time. Boyer had a good run. We'll see how it translates at Richmond, which is another short track, but you're Mm -hmm. able to pass at Richmond, unlike whenever you're at Bristol and Martinsville, where it's one lane, you either knock somebody out of the way or you just follow the leader. Bristol. Bristol's a good track for, I mean, it was a good race for Clint Boyer. Let's see how it does next week whenever you're able to hit the bottom lane and pass or be able to pass up top because Richmond has two, three grooves that will run, and you get to see good racing at Richmond. 917-889-8280. But you brought up a good point about big-name drivers having some issues. Jimmy Johnson had issues. He finished a lap down in 23rd. Brad Kozlowski, who was a strong runner all day long, he had a tire issue. He finished in the 18th position. Uh, the Dillon boys had some issues as well today, you know, and, and just a lot of big – the attrition rate was high, but we saw some good, you know, even best finishes from Jeffrey Earnhardt, who finished 32nd today in that 32 car. Josh Wise, who finished 33rd. Their best career runs – or best runs of the season. Earnhardt's best career run as well. So um, kind of refreshing to see these drivers have some big names. And, and a, a guy I wanted to give a call out to, we called him out earlier in the show – was Landon Castle. I thought Landon ran a good race today. Um, fell back. He got a little bit of an issue with Ty Dillon, which I didn't think it was that big of an issue. He got on the bottom. He got loose, and he came up, and he hit Ty Dillon. It's going to happen, especially in a short track race. I know Ty Dillon wasn't too happy at the end of that race, but uh, to me, that stuff's going to happen. I thought Dillon, if he should have been mad at anybody, was Dale Hart Jr., because I felt like Jr. was more in control of his car when Jr. did virtually the same thing to him. And what Castle did, and Castle wasn't really in control, obviously, as you saw him very loose. But uh, it was it was just nice to see John, to, to see these drivers, even Casey Kane. Casey Kane had some issues at the end of that race, but he was running on the top five all day. It was nice to see some of these guys who have had some issues all year long uh, kind of run pretty good today at Bristol Motor Speedway. Well, Bristol's, I mean, Bristol, Martinsville, I mean, if you look at it whenever it comes chase time, the two races that they call are the wild cards are Martinsville and Talladega. Bristol's almost like Martinsville. It's a wild card race. You don't know who's going to end up there. Nobody with any certainty can say who's going to win the race because there's tire issues. There's the bumpiness of the track, which vibrates, and you could end up knocking something off or making it where it's a rough day for you. You have the bumping and the bang, and if somebody bumps you the wrong way, you get a tire rub, you blow a tire, you're in the wall, and you end up 32nd instead of, I mean, you look, Kenseth finishes 36th, Kyle Busch 38th, and they were two of the fastest cars on the track one oh, all day long. Kenseth led 142 laps and finishes 36th. That's what, that's what Bristol does. You can't have a great day go completely wrong in the blink of an eye. Yeah, and it... it... You know, it throws your curveball. It really does. And you mentioned it's a wild card. It absolutely is. Uh, we'll look at the points here, John, as we get after the uh, Foot City 500. Eight races into the season, we've run uh, a bunch of different types of tracks. Obviously, mile and a half with Las Vegas, Atlanta, Texas. Um, see the short tracks with Martinsville and Bristol. We're coming up to another short track. Then we got Talladega. But you look at the points here, and, and guys had a lot of issues. Matt Kenseth, he's 18th in points right now. Uh, he's had a tough day. Kyle Larson had a tough day today. He's 22nd in points. Um, what guys you see right now in the points? You know, I mentioned Amarola 23rd, Greg Biffle 24th, Danica Patrick 25th, Casey Mears 26th, Landon Castle 27th. What drivers do you see right now uh, of the 16 and the top 16 points? Obviously, we take or the winners. Uh, what drivers do you see really need to kind of step it up here um, to make this chase in 2016 um, and they have to pick it up soon if they don't get it going. 
if are they're also going to make the chase. What drivers? I see Kenseth making it just because that car is too fast to sit back there 18th in points. He's going to get a win. He'll end up in the top 10. Uh, the people who I see, <clears throat> I see Blaney continuing to grow. He'll end up, I think he'll end up in the top, top 16. The people who I think need to worry are the ones who are in there right now. If you're not in there and you have a Ryan Blaney, a Matt Kenseth, Stenhouse is four points out in 17th. He could end up slipping in there. But most of the people who aren't in the top 16 haven't driven near the top 16 most of the time. I mean, they're outliers. Other, I mean, you get your Benedetto who had his career finish today, but he's still 30th in points. And there's no chance he'll see the chase. The people who I see being worried are the Almondingers, the McMurrays, the Casey Canes. I mean, McMurray's driven okay this year. Nothing to write home about. He's sitting there in 13th in points. I think there's going to be a couple winners outside of this group that could end up getting into the show. Depend. I mean, if you think about it, you still have that ultimate wild card and Tony Stewart coming back eventually. Yeah. And if they let, if they give Stewart the same treatment they gave Bush, where you get in the top 30 and you get a win, I could see Stewart getting into the top 30 right now. The way things are, if they if he runs pretty decent, I mean thirtieth point thirtieth place right now, he's only chasing a hundred and twelve points. That in reality is three races, three uh, really good races, and he's in the top thirty in points. And I could see Stewart winning Sonoma or Watkins Glen, or especially since it's his last year. How much do you want to bet that there is somebody? at Stuart Haas Racing, who is doing nothing but preparing the perfect Indianapolis car. <laughs> That's true. It's a very good point. And I think it depends with Stuart when he comes back. Uh, you know, we haven't heard anything about, you know, about his recovery yet. Um, it depends really when he comes back, in my opinion, as far as that's concerned. But I agree with you when you talk about the top, the chase drivers. Um, Jim McMurray, A.J. Elmendinger, who run okay, uh, a driver I'm concerned about is, you know, Paul Menard, a guy who's outside the top 20 right now. He's only got one top 10 finish. Um, you know, I don't see Danica getting in. But, you know, what Benedetto's run does, and I know you say it's a long shot, and it absolutely is a long shot. But if he's now 30th in points, if he goes out in, in two weeks at Talladega, pulls off the Miracle Ball Miracles, the David Reagan Miracle from a couple of years ago, uh, and wins Talladega, he is now into the chase because of his run this weekend. And he's obviously got to perform – better than what they have in the past to keep that up in the 30th in points, but a win and a sixth-place finish would help, definitely help keep him up in points, so that, that's something to keep an eye on as well, because he, I don't think he really he was going to have a shot at it, even if he won, if he didn't get sixth-place finish, but now he's in good shape there uh, for that. You know, it's going to be very interesting, because you've got a lot of guys who are very competitive this year. Ryan Blaney, you mentioned he's sitting 19th in points. I agree with you on Kenseth. I think Kenseth's going to get up there. He's a very fat. He's got a very fast car. Joe Racing is very fast. They're 18th in points. With all the trouble he's had this year, he's still 18th in the points, uh, and that can get you in to the chase. So, And anything can happen in the chase. So I expect that 20 car to be in there as well. Um, it's just, you know, when you when you take three cars away from the field, uh, it's very interesting to see um, what goes on. We have a caller here. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? This is Lee from Virginia. Hi, Lee. How are you? What do you want to discuss today? I thought the racing today at Bristol was was exceptional. Um, you know that Matthew Benedetto had a great run going going that eighty three car. Uh, he did a great job. I thought that was interesting. But one of the things I wanted to talk about was the guy like Kevin Harvick, who we all thought would have a great run, is not as dominant as he is now early on in this season. Uh, is it? I want to know how many guys like are like him, and even the Penske guys, I think as well. Are they saving their stuff for the chase? We know the Penske guys haven't been running great, and Kozlowski and, and Logano both had good runs today, but uh, they ended up they didn't end up with great finishes. But are they saving their stuff for the chase? Is my question. And, and those good runs that guys like Di Benedetto and, and Kane are having today, uh, could they be, uh, you know, later on that not may not happen towards the end of the season because those guys are going to prepare for the chase? That's, that's an interesting question because I think Joe Gibbs Racing might have been gambling today with their cameras and, and John mentioned you know those are three really fast race cars that um, 
you know, were out of the race because of, of camber issues. And I think they were gambling, taking a little bit of a risk. They knew that, and it paid off for Carl Edwards, but it didn't pay off for the rest of the teams out of that stable. Um, it's a good question. I, I think right now, though, you know, with Joe Gibbs racing the way they are, I think Joe Gibbs racing is a class of the field. They have some issues there, like we said, but overall they're the class of the field. I think motorsports has got to start to figure out, if they're, if they're trying to try and stuff, they've got to figure out something to do to catch Joe Gibbs Racing. So they might be trying stuff, but they have to catch Joe Gibbs Racing because, John, right now, I think they're behind the ball. I think every team's behind the ball. I think Joe Gibbs, including the 78 team, is on, an, on a different level than everybody else right now, and they all have to try and figure out how to get better and, and t- catch Joe Gibbs Racing. When it comes to what Lee said about Harvick, I don't think he's as much experimenting as it may look. I mean, Harvick, I mean, he was up there all day today. If Harvick didn't start on the inside lane every restart, Harvick might have had something for Carl Edwards. He had a fast car. He was making up time. And just it seemed like every time he'd get to on Carl's bumper, the yellow would fly and he'd end up second place. Guess what? You're starting on the inside lane. You're going to go back to fifth or sixth before you can be able to get up top again and you got to find a way to get back toward the front. Um, I don't think Kenseth is experimenting. I could see Johnson experimenting like crazy because mm-hmm. they've got two wins. There's nothing to worry about there. I think Keselowski and Logano are just <clears> – <throat> there's just something missing right now. And if you remember last year at this time, we were talking about what was missing with Joe Gibbs Racing. Joe Gibbs right. Racing was out the lunch until the All-Star Race last year. And then something clicked. TRD got more horsepower. They found something in their front-end setup where they were able to cut the car better in the turns. And from the second half of the season, Joe Gibbs was lights out, especially when Kyle came back. And I think as much as – I mean, David Reagan's a good driver – I don't think David Reagan brings as much to the weekly driver debriefs as Kyle Busch does. And I don't think that Denny Hamlin's going to learn from David Reagan like he will from Kyle Busch, or or Matt Kenseth is going to learn from David Reagan as he will from Kyle Busch. I think the chemistry was there once Kyle Busch got back in the car, and you saw right away Joe Gibbs took off, and there was no catching them the rest of the season. Something's missing everywhere else and somebody's going to find lightning in a bottle right around the Coke 600 like it happens every year. The thing that will concern me about Harvick, though, and Harvick's been great this year, he's got a car that really works well in the long run. I mean, when he, when it's a long green flag run, that car is dynamite. I mean, he when 10, 15, 20 laps into the run, you're like, man, that team is, that four car is good today. But on a short run, it just seems like in a 10, 15 lap stretch, uh, on a shorter run, that four car doesn't get going nearly as good as it does, you know, 50 laps into a run here at Bristol. So, Lee, I think that's something you have to look at as well, where, um, you know, maybe that four car has to experiment a little bit here to get a little bit better on a shorter run to beat Joe Gibbs Racing. Is there anything else you want to touch on, Lee? Uh, yeah, about the Tony Stewart thing. I think it's interesting that uh, there's not a driver named, you know, they're going, they're kind of going week to week here. Tony said, uh, he's getting reevaluated, re- reevaluated at the start of May, and you have to wonder at that point, uh, is he looking to get back into the race car? Because, you know, Ty Dillon has said he's unsure of his future, of what's going on in that 14 car. He's not sure if he's going to be in it next week for Richmond. Uh, Brian Vickers has stated that he's uncertain of his future in that car as well. Um, you know, you have to wonder what the target date is for Tony Stewart there, and, and if it's the beginning of May, you know, it's before the All-Star race, obviously, it's before Kyle Busch came back last year, so um, that will be an interesting thing to see if Tony can can really run it in there. Um, and also, about, I had another point about uh, Harvick, or about the about the Penske cars. Those cars, they're they're not long-run cars, and you got to wonder, also, with these teams that are, that are struggling right now, the Penske's and the four, you know, we're going to get away from short tracks here in a little bit, and we're going to get to the to the meat of the schedule with the intermediates, and that's really where you need to be money in the chase. You know, five of the ten races in the chase are intermediate tracks, two, uh, one-and-a-half-mile tracks, uh, or two-mile tracks. So 
those that's going to be very interesting to see once the schedule changes to more of an intermediate type, type of schedule, uh, who's got what, and, you know, with this new format, who's going to, or with this new package, who's going to be able to wrap their arms around it even more. Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, you know, about the Stewart situation, I, I, I'd be surprised, and John probably knows more about this than we do, um, than I do at least, Um I'd be surprised if we see Tony back before you all start race. I really would be. I know he's getting reevaluated before May, but you know, I was looking at a place like Dover. Dover is a high banked, high. It's a it's Bristol on steroids, really, and there's a lot of G forces in that. And there's you know, for somebody who's nursing a back injury, I'm not sure Dover would be the ideal weekend to come back. Uh, but we'll see. I think that Dover this year is a week before the All Star race, uh, and then you got the All Star race and the 600. And you know, I said this last year about Kyle Busch. I didn't think he'd run the 600, um, but you know, he did. So, um, hey, you never know. John, what do you think, uh, before we let Lee go here, what do you think about um, about? Tony I think if you, gave, if you gave, if you, if you shot Tony Stewart up with true serum right now, he would have run this week. If you asked Tony when you're ready to go, I think he's ready to go right now. You could see him chomping at the bit. Every interview... I mean, there was a piece on him in FoxSports.com this week that Tom Jensen wrote where basically he said the waiting is killing him. I think he's ready to go, but because it's a back injury, because it was an exploded disc, that Tony Stewart also wants to race a lot more the rest of his life. And unfortunately, he's going to sit until the doctors say it's okay because he does want to hop in a sprint car next year. He does want to hop in a dirt modified next year. He does want to hop on a plane with Gene Haas next year and see the F1 team. He doesn't want to take that unnecessary risk, because if it would have been Tony Stewart of old before NASCAR put these rules in, if he could have, he probably would have started the Daytona 500 and hopped out of the car and put a relief driver in like Daryl did the one year where he broke his leg and shattered it and they pulled him out, or the year that Ricky Rudd ran with his eyes taped open because NASCAR mm-hmm. put the rule in that they, I mean, they'd rather have the safety of the drivers so they're not pushing it as hard as they used to. But I think Stewart, as soon as he gets, as soon as he gets clearance from the doctor saying, yeah, you're good to go, he will be in the car whatever week that is. And that's probably why you see Brian Vickers trying to get a ride in the Indy 500. That's why you see Ty Dillon not sure what he's going to do in that car. Part of it with Ty Dillon is whenever Bass Pro Shops wants to be on the car, that's when Ty Dillon's going to run it. If Bass Pro Shops isn't on the car, that's when Tony can find whoever wants to. And I haven't seen Ty Dillon do anything special in that car. I've seen Vickers run it pretty well. But I haven't seen anything special out of Ty Dillon. I mean, Ty Dillon yet. I don't know why they keep going to the Ty Dillon thing other than the Bass Pro Shop sponsorship. And with Gene Haas right. in in the ownership role, they don't need that million dollars. Gene's got billions; he can figure it out. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it was a uh, rough weekend for Ty Dillon. No doubt, he got wrecked twice today. Dillon Hart Jr. Uh, made contact with him, put him in the outside wall. So did Landon Castle. And then he had he went through he was in a backup car to begin with because of his incident in qualifying. So it was a very tough weekend for Ty Dillon, no doubt about it. Lee, before I let you go, what was your opinion on the Xfinity series this weekend? Uh Fitzgerald glider kits three hundred, ran heat races, fifty lap heat races, uh, and then of course we ran into the main event with two hundred lapper. Uh what were your thoughts on the whole week the Xfinity series racing at Bristol Motor Speedway? I don't see the point in having drivers who are not eligible for, you know, the heat races or the heats were for the dash for cash. I don't see the point in having drivers that are not eligible for the dash for cash in the heats. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. That's number one. Um, Number two, a lot of guys were being um, uh, conservative, very conservative about the, about, uh, you know, not wanting to tear up their stuff and, and just get into the main, and they really weren't pushing it. But I think if you had just the Xfinity regulars in there who were competing for the Dash for Cash, it would be a lot more interesting. Um, even if, you know, it is part of the race and it is the 50 laps of part of the race, um, you know, you tell, the, you tell the cup regulars they're starting at the back of the field anyway and a guy's not running for points, 
you're going to see more Xfinity drivers in those four races. Uh, and, and it's only four races of the year. I think you could, I think you can tell the Cup guys, okay, hey, you know, you're not eligible to run in these uh, in these races. You know, start in the back, and then you just you just put the Xfinity regulars in there and let them qualify the way they did. I think that that's the best way to do it because it didn't add a lot to the to the race. Now I thought the race itself, the 200 lap uh, uh, main, was very entertaining and. Uh, you have to wonder how much of it is the fact that Eric Jones is able to go out and beat Kyle Busch, and if Kyle Busch wasn't in that race, that wouldn't have been a storyline. Uh, you know, Kyle right. Larson had a tremendous run. Uh, it was a shame that he couldn't hang on for the win as well, but, you know, if Kyle Busch wasn't in that race, the Eric Jones beating Kyle Busch isn't really that big of a storyline, obviously, because he's beating me in an extremely regular. Um, but so all the people that made that jumped up and down about Kyle winning four out of five extremely series races, nearly five out of five, that's something you have to look at where you, you know he's not going to dominate every single week. You know this isn't going to last forever. I know he does have 80 Xfinity Series wins, but eventually the tides will turn, and we saw that at Bristol this weekend. He's not in the car next weekend at Richmond. He's not in the car at Talladega either. So you're going to see some good Xfinity Series racing coming up here, and uh, Eric Jones had a really nice run. I thought that race was entertaining, and I thought today's race was pretty entertaining. I know, you know, it, there wasn't, it was very difficult to pass, but that's the way it always was at Bristol very difficult to pass. Now you just got to make sure your car can handle well enough in the bottom of the racetrack to be able to make, to finish that pass. You're right, well, Grant. Uh, Lee, we, I got to tell we, you my thoughts on the Xfinity race. I thought, <clears throat> I thought it was, you saw a lot of good moves, but it was because they were trying to weave in and out of lap cars because at one point there were seven cars on the lead lap. What that, all the Xfinity race did was show you the difference between Gibbs equipment, Penske equipment, RCR equipment, compared to all the Xfinity regulars. I thought it, I mean, to be honest with you, I thought, I mean, some of the moves you saw were great. Larson was going in places you didn't think he could go. But part of it's because you have a bunch of field fillers out there getting in the way. If you get the cup teams out of the Xfinity race, and make it Xfinity guys only. I mean, you can. I don't mind if it's Cup drivers. Put a Cup driver in an Xfinity team that has no affiliation with a Cup a Cup team, other than possibly buying engines like you do because Hendrick and uh, Roush Yates and TRD have most of the engine deals. I can live with that. But if you're out there building your own car, putting your stuff together as an Xfinity team instead of the Joe Gibbs Racing minor league operation or the RCR minor league operation, it just doesn't work for me. I mean, I do not want to see a race with 200 laps and you're 100 laps in and there's nine guys on the lead lap. That's not racing to me. That's called a few guys are really good, a bunch of people suck, why do we bother? And the turnout at Bristol showed it. There were more empty seats dressed up as people than there were people filling those seats. Yeah, it was both it, days. Today's right. Yeah, both days were, were noticeable. And Lee, we thank you so much for joining the show. Call anytime, uh, and we'll continue this conversation um, here on Talking in Circles again. If you want to join the show, like Lee did, nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. John, you know. There's a couple things I want to touch on with, with these heat races. First off, I thought the heat races were very lackluster. I thought the race, the, the feature was pretty good. I thought the heat races were uh, were tough to watch. I, you know, when they when you qualify in a 50-lap race, you know, there's not much you can do to change the handling of the race car. And that's what I love about a, a 500-mile race or a 400-mile race, a long race where, you know, yeah, you, you go through one run, but these guys can work on their race cars, get them a little bit better. When you only run a 50-lap race, you know, it's, Basically, you got what you got. When you have an impound race where you can't touch the car from qualifying to the heat race, you're going to see basically what I think what you saw in qualifying. Uh, you might see a little bit of passing here and there, but you're not going to see a whole lot. And uh, I, I, it's a work in progress, no doubt about it. I think we we um, definitely need to let these teams even before the heat races and after the heat races let these teams touch whatever they want. When you get done with a 50 lap heat race, you sit there and go, you know what? This is what was wrong with the car. Change this, this, and that. Change, let them change whatever they want. And then go into the feature with a 200-lap feature. But I think this also was a precursor to what we see with a lot of media members out there, a lot, and I've read a lot more lately, 
where NASCAR, I think, is really seriously considering shortening races in the Cup Series, shortening races in the Xfinity Series, and this is just the beginning of it with these key races. You've got 50 laps, 50 laps, you got the race by 100 laps, and you cut the feature by 100. You cut the feature by 100 laps, and the feature's only 200. Everybody was applauding, saying, well, that race was a 200-lap race. It went fast. It was good. Yada, yada, yada. And uh, I think this is a precursor to that as well, which is something that I always say this. And I'm not saying that uh, NASCAR isn't doing this. I just think they need to do it a little bit better, even more. Emphasis on it even more. You're not going to fix a, a, a lackluster product by shortening it. Um, so let's get the, let's continue to work on the product of the race racing to make it even better. And if we still have an issue with these with the longevity of these races, uh, and the product is the best it can be, and you're sitting there going, "You know, the product's the best it can be," and people are still aren't showing up. What's short in the races? I'd say okay, but I don't think the product is anywhere near where it can be. And uh, I think that shortening the races is almost an excuse for it. And I think this was the beginning of of what we're going to see. For NASCAR shortening races in the future here in the next five years, you're going to see a lot more races. I think you're going to bring these heats with how with how they were uh, the media talkies up with how great it was to have shortened races. I think you're only going to see these come into the Cup Series, these heat races. Same thing in the Camping World Truck Series. I think it's all of it uh, shortening these races. I think that's what NASCAR is really looking at. I thought the heat, heat <coughs> excuse me, the heat races were a waste of time. <coughs> there wasn't very much passing. Nobody was really trying to make any moves because they knew if they wrecked in the heat, they weren't racing the feature because it's not like you can pull out a backup car. So it was finish the 50 so you can get to the 200 and get the paycheck. I think the heat races were useless. Um, it was a nice storyline to say it's the first time we did it. We're going back to the roots of short track racing, which is great, but it didn't do anything for me. There's a couple places where the shortening of the races. And I know you've been there, I've been there, 500 miles at Pocono seems like it takes two weeks. Yeah, it does. 400 miles at Pocono has turned into much more excitement. For some reason, that extra 100 miles, maybe it's the drivers keep keep them from falling asleep or something, keeps the people from falling asleep or something, but when they took away that last 100 miles at Pocono, which Dr. Joe never was going to do, Dr. Joe said, I want 500 miles at Pocono, and that's what we're going to do. And whenever Dr. Joe passed away, here we go. Brandon goes, his grandson, who's running the track now, says, okay, we'll do 400 miles. And Pocono has been two of the better races on the series anymore. Same thing with California. California at 500 miles seemed like it took two weeks. Now that the track's worn out, and they can use the three le- the three lanes and how wide that track is, and people can find their way around. The racing is phenomenal at Auto Club Speedway. If you look at the racing at with the progressive banking down at Homestead, I'm telling you, the best race I ever saw was the Tony Stewart-Carl Edwards race for the championship. I've never seen people put cars in as many places as they could, pass as many cars as Stewart did that day, it's a great racetrack. And now Kentucky's going to get repaved this year. You watch. Kentucky's going to be a follow-the-leader race. The short tracks are turning into follow-the-leader races. You don't get that many places anymore where there's multiple grooves where if you're not working low, you can go up near the wall and get by people. You're either going to be up high and everybody's going to be up high, or you're going to be down low and everybody's going to be down low. They're not finding the way to make it multi-groove where if you're not working down below, you can find another lane and get faster. I don't yeah, know what the... I, I'm not an engineer, so yeah. I can't say, okay, you need to put a 14-degree middle bank, you need to put a 9 degree, nine degrees at the bottom and 22 degrees up top, and you see how that goes. But for some reason, it seems a lot of the progressive banking tracks do well or the tracks that are worn out. Atlanta's always a great race because the pavement is the oldest one on the circuit. So that's part and, of what and, I see as the problem. And I listen, and that's I agree with you. And I think that my that's my my um, theory that all this is you're not going to fix a lackluster product by shortening the races. I just want to make that clear to everybody. I just think everybody's like, oh well, you know, if if we run 200 miles at, at Bristol, it's not that big of a deal. 
but it is to me when the pro- if the product isn't where we need it to be. We got to get this product back to where it needs to be. It's back to where the TV ratings are through the roof and the t- and the tracks are building grandstands instead of tearing them down. Um, and I think NASCAR has done a good job in the last couple of years to work towards that, but we got to get better. I don't think the product is anywhere near where it needs to be, and there's a lot of issues we can dive into this. I'm sure there's people out there who are listening who would say, well, this is what you need to do, this is what you need to do, yada, 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 but I don't think shortening races is the answer to fix a lackluster product. If, again, if you want to tell me that you know we fix the racing and the racing gets back to a level where it's really competitive, where it can pass everywhere, and you sit there going, yeah, but we tried all that. It's work. It's endless. And now we have to sit out there and short races because these people aren't interested anymore. I'd say, you know what? We've done everything. The product to me looks great. It looks just better than it did 15 years ago. Okay, fine. You win me over on shortening races, but you're not going to sell that to me and tell me that it's it's an end-all, be-all, that it's great and wonderful because the product isn't where it needs to be. It just needs to be better. I think everywhere it needs to be better. You talked about, but I thought Bristol could have been a lot better today. Um but, again, a lot of this is out of out of the control. I think a lot of it's out of NASCAR's control. I think gear rules uh, is a big issue. I think everybody runs uh, virtually the same engine, and, and each manufacturer is a big issue. And that's all stuff. The, the manufacturer, the engine issue, and the chassis issue, issue where, you know, you're in a Spring Cup Series. There's, four, there's about six right now engine builders in the NASCAR Spring Cup Series. I think that's a big issue, but that's a big issue that I don't think we're ever going to see change anymore in the Sprint Cup Series. So, um, a lot of it's out of NASCAR's control, but um, I definitely think we need to continue to work on the product instead of shortening these races. And I think that's what these heat races did. I think they're going to sit there and go, well, well, we can shorten them, but not shorten them. Well, you still get 300 miles or 300 laps at Bristol, but we're shortening the feature by 100 laps, and it'll make everybody happier. I think that's what ultimately these heat races are doing. And, and listen, if they want to go with that route, I can live with it. But you can't sit there and say, this is what we're going to do, and you know what, we're not going to touch the product because we think the product's good because the product still needs to be worked on. I just want to make that clear. The other thing, I mean, if you look at it, let's look at the qualifying. I looked at the qualifying times just now. Between first and 40th place is seven-tenths of a second. That's because they're all running the same gear. Most of them, there's like you said, the four or five major engine builders, and then there's a couple outliers. But you've got most of the field running, Roush Fenway, Hendrick, Earnhardt, Earnhardt uh, Childress engine, Childress. or the Roush Yates, or the TRD. Right. Those are your major right. engine manufacturers. So they're all going to have the same engine. They're all tested within a couple horsepower of each other, and a couple horsepower isn't going to make a difference. 20, 50 horsepower will, one or two not. But if you're running the same gear, same basic engine, everybody's running the same speed, so it's really tough to spread out the field, really tough to get by someone because the person in front of you has got the same stuff you do. And you're running the same tire. So I think it's all got uh, – it's something to definitely look at. But again, you know, we can dive all day on this show about what we need to do to fix the product, but let's just not – shorten these races and say that's the solution to, to the issues we've been having and not and neglect the product. I think that would be a big, huge, huge mistake. But let's give Eric Jones some credit where credit's due. Eric Jones won his heat race, sat on the pole, and dominated and won, won his race in the Xfinity Series, got maximum points this week, uh, did a great, great job finishing in the first position. Uh, the kid deserves a lot of credit, in my opinion. I think Eric Jones, we've talked about him on this show a lot, He's a great young talent, one of the great young talents in, in the in the series. Uh, I thought he did a great job this weekend. Won his hundred thousand dollars as well for the um, the Xfinity series. But a funny story and, and something that I, I don't think I, I can't believe Xfinity overlooked. And I want to bring this up just because it's kind of interesting. And I told um, somebody off the air this, and they were kind of surprised by this. For people who don't know Xfinity, when you were in the Xfinity series, uh, dash or cash cash races last year and the years before when it was nationwide. Nationwide had a, when you ran, you had like a blue little uh, thing above the window that had nationwide to show you that you were in uh, the Dasher cash races. They did the same thing this year with Xfinity and last year, They put except it was red. Well, this mm-hmm. year, obviously, we have the heat races, and the heat races um, determine who's who's in, in the Dasher cash. Well, 
this year, instead of putting on the inside of the window like they have in years past, they put on the outside of the windows. And when Eric Jones pitted and it had a tear off, it tore the Xfinity Series sticker off the car. And they had to redo that and delayed victory lane by a while because they had to re-sticker the sticker on Eric Jones' number 20 car because he was, he was going to be in victory lane winning the Xfinity Dash for cash without the red sticker. Just kind of funny that somebody in Xfinity or somebody in NASCAR kind of missed that. That would happen uh, with this tear-off. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. The one thing that I was, um, again, to show you how the racing was, if you look at that final restart, and that was a great dash at the end of the Xfinity race, but Eric Jones started in fourth place. He was on the outside, road two. Uh, Larson left the hole open, and Jones kept his foot in the floor, and I think he surprised Larson because Larson probably didn't think he was going to be up that high. But he started in fourth place. Bush did not get a good restart because he started second, so Jones had a great restart coming off. He got and surprised Larson, made a great move, and won the race. But Eric Jones, if he starts third, we're not talking about him. And I think that's all it was, is where your position was on the track where the restarts took place. You're absolutely right. And I think uh, we're going to see eventually. Chase Elliott did it today in the Cup Series, and I thought it was a very savvy move. If you watch towards the end of that race, Chase was coming out seventh and realized that he was seventh in the line, pulled all the way to the left, stopped, let his teammate Dale Earnhardt Jr. go by on pit road, then moved forward, and he was eighth. Dale Jr. was on the inside in seventh. And Chase was eighth on the outside, and Chase got a great run, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. struggled in that portion of the race because he was on the inside. And I thought that was a very savvy move by a rookie driver, and I think it's something we see at Martinsville a lot because nobody wants to be on the outside of Martinsville, and it's something we're seeing now at Bristol. It's very interesting as well with these double-file restarts. Um, a couple, you know, Let's go over the points here quick in the Xfinity Series before we move on to Camping World Truck Series news. Daniel Suarez is your points leader. He leads uh, Eric Jones by six points, then Justin Allgaier. Is eight points back. Then Sadler, ten points back. Brandon Jones, Tide Dillon, Brendan gone. Brendan Poole, Ryan Reed, and Daryl Wallace Jr. Your top ten in points for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. They run Richmond next week, as do the NASCAR Spring Cup Series. Uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun to go to Richmond. A uh, couple news though, John, this week out of the NASCAR Camper World Truck Series. They actually came out after qualifying on Friday. I read this. Uh, it was breaking news, and I, I think. You know, forgive me if I have this incorrect, but I believe Chris Knight was one of the first ones to break it for CatchFence.com. But Red Horse Racing announced that effective immediately, it has parted ways with driver Ben Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy obviously is the grandson of Bill France Jr., the, uh, uh, the nephew of Brian France, the NASCAR, NASCAR CEO, the son, the son of Lisa France Kennedy, who is the president and chairman of ISC, International Speedway Corporation. So, uh Kennedy and Red Horse Racing number 11 truck without a driver and Kennedy without a ride here. Uh, what do you make of this as, as you know, we're a couple of weeks from going to Kansas for the truck series. What do you make of all this? Well, I could see um, Timothy Peters having a lot of post-race inspection problems coming up in the near future. Um, I don't, I really don't understand why sure. there are three races in. I mean, you'd think that, the France and Kennedys could find sponsorship for this truck if they if Ben wants to race. You'd think because they had the official toilet paper and everything else of NASCAR that they could funnel some of that money into making sure that Ben's racing career could go. I I don't get it. They had a race. They had a uh, deal for three races, and here they are two races into their three race deal to see if they could get more sponsorship on the eleven. And Ben Kennedy's out of a ride. And it's the second ride he's been in. I mean, he drove for H. Scott Motorsports whenever, or whenever it was Turner Scott, and Turner Scott went away from the truck series, and then he wound up hitching in with Red Horse. But I don't see why there can't be funding for this kid, especially whenever Uncle Brian's running the whole show and Mom's running the racetracks, I could see not good things happening to Red Horse Racing in the inspection lines, and that's the black hat helicopter conspiracy that somebody will bring up on Moody's show tomorrow. <laughs> well, it's funny because I hope that doesn't happen, but obviously the conspiracy theorists can be ramping wild here. But to get in all seriousness, it's very interesting. And, you know, 
Ben Kennedy right now, as you look at the NASCAR Cape Breton Truck Series points after three races, sits 13th in the standings. And I think this has a lot to do with it. Not that Kennedy should be performing better, but I think you have to look at who might be out, out of a ride. Parker Klugman, his future, I'm not sure if it's cemented yet with where he's been uh, with uh, Ricky Benton Racing Enterprises, the 92 truck. He's second in points, three points back of John Hunter Nemechek. Ryan Truex as well, Hattori Racing Enterprises. Not sure they have much of a future there. They, they might they might put together a full-time deal, but, the, you know, there's rumors that they, that they might not. So it's not 100% accurate. Uh, another driver who I like a lot, who I think is, is a very talented race car driver, is uh, Grant Enfinger, who won the ARCA Championship last year. Enfinger was out of a ride at GMS Racing last week. Uh, a couple of weeks ago at Martinsville, and he was replaced by Kaz Gralla. So maybe some of these guys. Now, I don't think Enfinger would be eligible for the chase in the truck series because he didn't run at Martinsville. But I think definitely keep your eyes open for Ryan Truex going to Red Horse Racing and or or, or Parker Kligman going to Red Horse Racing. I think maybe they looked at him and they said, you know what, Truex right now says six in points. He's got 16 points more than Ben Kennedy. Uh, we will take the hit in sponsorship to go out there and get both of these trucks in the chase and try and sell some sponsorship, do some good for Ryan Truex. Parker Kligman has a, has a future, has a history with Red Horse Racing. He run, he's run for them in the past. Uh, so I think those two drivers are definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, maybe somebody that we're not even seeing, maybe a Brandon Brown of all, of all cases. So, but it's very interesting that maybe some of these drivers here at Red Horse Racing, you know, they said to Ben, Ben's going to move on, and maybe I bet you Ben finds a ride for Kansas because, like he said, he does have, he might have some funding behind him. But a very interesting deal there, and I think it's something to keep an eye on for both Kligerman and Ryan Truex. I think Kligerman would be a great person to put on there, not just because he's second in points right now, but Kligerman has the exposure because whenever he didn't have rides the past year, year and a half, he's been doing the NBC gig. So his face and his name's out there. Sponsors know who he is. Sponsors are more likely to put their name behind a product that they know of instead of somebody that they're not really sure of. I mean, they know who Martin Truex Jr. is, but Ryan hasn't really shown himself. They know that Ben Kennedy's the grandson of Bill France Jr., but he hasn't really shown anything. So if I'm um, Red Horse Racing, I'm looking. You've got Timothy Peters up there third in points. I'm looking at someone who's going to help him not be a deterrent because right. – Ben Kennedy hasn't really set the world on fire yet. And it was late blooming, that Kennedy deal with Red Horse Racing to begin with. So maybe there was something else in the works for Kennedy, or maybe there was something else in the works for one of these teams, and it just didn't work out uh, for Red Horse Racing. And then they ran three races and realized that something might happen, and they can move some people over. But uh, silly season kind of news. I think it was very surprising to a lot of people that, you know, it was, and it was kind of an odd time it was announced. It wasn't announced. You know, after Martinsville last week, or two weeks ago after Martinsville, it was kind of, you know, we're in a, a full-week lull in the Camper Mall Truck Series, so kind of an odd announcement out of that series. And another interesting tidbit here, John, before we go, uh, it looks like Spec Engines, I think they're going to come uh, next year. Spec Engines coming to the Camper Mall Truck Series. It could help some of those smaller truck teams compete with the big guys uh, with Spec Engines and NASCAR. That's out. We've seen it with um, ARCA. They have a Lemore engine, a spec engine there. Uh, it should be interesting to see when we get more details on that, as well as a spec engine in the NASCAR Camper Mall Truck Series. I think, uh, th again, that's not going to really do anything to help the series. you got everybody do driving the same engines again. What good is mm -hmm. it going to do you? There's no separation. It isn't. The one thing I love about going to short tracks, whenever you see you go to the dirt tracks in Pennsylvania, you see the people bringing what they built not what somebody else regulated. There's a bigger box that you have in there, but NASCAR's box that you have to be inside the box to make sure your car goes, there's no creativity in there. I mean, the Harry Hydes right. of the world would have never been the Harry Hydes of the world the if they weren't able to create inside the rule book, and that's where NASCAR's running into big trouble. Yeah, I agree, John. I think it's... Uh... It's definitely something to keep an eye on out for the truck series that we had a truck series owner for a smaller team 
on our show in December, and he was in favor of it because he feels like he can compete better with those engines, but it'll be interesting to see how it impacts the product. John's great show today. Uh, we thank Lee for calling in from Virginia. He had a lot to the show. We'll see you next week on Talking in Circles, talking about Richmond. Good night, everybody. <laughs>